Hi, Pastor Hill Church. Um, welcome to our youth service. Um, hope you guys are doing well, and uh, we really miss you guys. Safo and I have really enjoyed getting in some exercise this week. We went for a few walks, and I even got to do some Pilates. We really miss you guys, and we can't wait till we get to see you again soon. Keep sending in your home videos to Jess. We really love seeing them. Hi church family, I'm Georgia. We are all experiencing weird times at the moment. Are we going to school or not? Are we allowed to go to the beach or not? Are we allowed to get char time? Because I would really like one. I know these may seem like small issues, but uncertain times affect us all differently. Today I'll be talking about how we handle uncertainties and look at how Joseph handled all that he was faced with. Let's start with Joseph as a young man of 17. He's like us, he's one of the youth. He has 10 stepbrothers, his dad had two wives, his mum Rachel died when giving birth to his younger brother and Joseph was his dad Jacob's favourite and given Jacob's experience with Esau, he probably should have known better. You could say his family is a bit broken, so from an early age there hasn't been a good family connection, there has always been tension. The scriptures tell us that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and couldn't even speak a kind word to him. That's harsh, especially for a teenager. As we know, Joseph has a dream and he tells his brothers what he saw. We were binding sheaves of grain in the field when suddenly my sheave rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. They hated him even more because of this dream and what he had said. To be honest, I'm not sure why Joseph told his brothers about this dream given that they already hated him. Like for me, if I was to have this dream and tell my sister about it, she would laugh and move on. But not in Joseph's case. His brothers were furious. Which leads his brothers to selling him to some travelling Ishmaelites. Then he is brought by Potiphar who cherishes him. Sadly, when things are starting to look up for him, he is thrown back down to the bottom as he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. However, in prison, the Lord was with him and chose him kindness and granted him favour in the eyes of the prison warden. At the time, Joseph didn't know it, but we can see how this is a part of God's bigger plan. And the same applies to us. He always has our backs. Then, as we know, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker have dreams that they do not understand. And with inspiration from God, Joseph interprets these dreams. Now, Two years pass by and Pharaoh has a dream that he struggles to understand. He calls on all of the magicians and wise men of Egypt, but they do not understand Pharaoh's dream either. Re-enter cheap cuff bearer who only now remembers Joseph. When Pharaoh hears that Joseph can interpret dreams, he orders for his presence. Joseph is then quickly cleaned up and made ready for the presence of Pharaoh. In Genesis 41 verse 15 it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. When Joseph is given the chance, he glorifies God. Despite all the troubles he has been through, he is still strong in his faith for God. In verse 41, it says, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So just like that, he goes from prisoner to being in charge of all of Egypt. This is God's bigger plan for him. As the story goes on, Pharaoh's dream is fulfilled and the seven years of harvest has passed and now the use of famine. It is the second year of the famine and re-enter evil brothers who now need food as Canaan is suffering from the famine. Joseph recognizes them and tests them, but he does not let them know who he is, He's, as he is filled with emotion. As the Bible tells us, he turned away from them and began to weep. The brothers follow Joseph's command and return home for Benjamin. Upon their second journey to Egypt, Joseph invites him into his house for a feast. The brothers are scared, and once again Joseph tests them. The brothers by telling them that Benjamin is to stay in Egypt with him. 
He can now see that the brothers are a stronger unit and that they are considerate of each other as Judah pleads to Joseph to make sure that Benjamin returns with them as they do not want to displease their father. Joseph is overcome with emotion when he finally reveals himself to them. His brothers are not able to speak to him as they are terrified, but Joseph reassures to them that it is okay. His brothers, he says to his brothers, your intentions were for evil, but God's intentions were for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So, we can see how Joseph has been through many trials and uncertainties in his life, but he is continually faithful to God and he glorifies him. His story can show us how trials and uncertainties can shape us into better people, help our faith grow and build character. Last year for me, my faith was really challenged. When a close friend of mine was going through a really, really tough time, she really needed me to be strong for her. During this time, I really learned to rely on God more than ever before. He blessed me with the strength and courage that I needed to support her. He is my rock for who I know I can rely on when times get tough and when times are good. Because I am able to hand my worries, thoughts and sadnesses over to him and he takes them away. Even when we get hit with undeserved pain, God has a bigger plan. He sees what's going on and he never leaves us. And in his time and his way, he will rescue us. We can take comfort from this verse, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. Good morning, church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Damien, and I have been tasked with the topic of faith through uncertainty through the perspective of Noah, which I have titled, How do we remain faithful when the world literally comes crashing around us? For the sake of following along, I'll be listing verses from Genesis 6 to 8. In summary, Noah was an incredible man. As shown in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his family were the only righteous people left, and God found the corruption of his creation appalling. God decided that he was going to start the world anew and gave specific instructions for Noah to build an unusually large boat. And given that Noah had likely never seen rain or oceans, the request for an unusually large boat would have been baffling. He had no idea how or why this vessel was going to save the world, but God told him to do it, so he did it. Noah spent a hundred years building this boat and followed God's architecture to the T. He, once Noah finished his part, he handed the job over to God, who led the animals onto the boat and sealed the door behind Noah and his family. The earth flooded for 40 days and prevailed for a further 110, of which after sending a few wing scouts, Noah deduced that the flood was over and he could finally get off the boat. But notably, the first thing Noah did after leaving the boat was make an altar and thank God for keeping him and his family safe. Noah faced a lot of uncertainty he didn't know why God chose to restart the world. Didn't know if his boat would be able to keep afloat. He didn't know when the flood would be over or what the future would hold for him and his family. But his faith allowed him to trust in God when the world came crashing around him. Sometimes, especially nowadays, it can feel like the world is crashing around us. Noah was isolated. He was the only good man left. He didn't have a church community to go to once he was overwhelmed with mockery or doubt. So let's delve into Noah's characteristics and choices that enabled him to remain faithful throughout uncertainty and throughout isolation. So I've got my manual PowerPoint here. So flipping back to Genesis 6, 9 to 10, we can see that Noah was brought up in a God-loving household. Well, that makes sense. It's a lot easier to have faith in God when, you're brought up in a, when your parents share the faith. 
Genesis 6.13 shares that Noah listened when God called. Okay, we can probably do that, as long as we don't get caught, drown him out with other worldly distractions. Okay, next, Genesis 6.22, Noah followed God's orders exactly. Well, I suppose when God asks us to do something that we can't just manipulate it into something that we already want to do, don't make compromises. Okay, Genesis 6.22, Noah did, didn't give in to peer pressure. That makes sense. We can't follow God's path if we get coaxed into a different path by somebody else. Genesis 7.9, Noah let God do his part. Very true, we often want to take the will from God when we should really just let God take control and have faith in his promises. Noah didn't try and herd up a few chickens just in case God didn't make the effort. Genesis 7.10, Noah was patient with God. I'm sure we're all patient with God, right? No, well, we might have to work on that one. And finally, and most importantly, Genesis 8.20, Noah put God first. The first thing Noah did when he got off the ark was build an altar for God. So we need to always put God first, no matter what we go through. I feel like we've extracted the attributes of Noah quite well, but the more I look at this list, the more I begin to doubt that we can do them all. I might have been brought up in a God-loving household, but I don't always put God first. I might let God do his part, but I might not be patient with him whilst he does it. I might not give in to peer pressure, but I might not listen when he calls. And if I can't be like Noah, how will I remain faithful in times of uncertainty? And that's when it clicked. What if we can't be like Noah? What if we can't be outstanding citizens of God's mission when everyone else has packed up and left? Noah was the last remaining righteous man. He was isolated and had to follow God's plan on reliance on his personal faith and extraordinary character. But we don't have to be isolated. What is the key to remaining faithful throughout uncertainty is not isolation, but community. For those who don't know, I have been part of a CrossFit gym for the last two years, and following its forced closure last term, I was given the option to give up on the program or continue paying for their online substitute. I tossed up between cancelling my subscription and finding a free alternative or doing their online program, which is what I ended up deciding. And whilst I was no longer paying for coaching and equipment, I was paying to maintain a community. Had I given up, and found an online alternative, I wouldn't be part of the online community, sharing photos and videos of improvised gym equipment, and would be found it very, very easy to look at my work for the day and go on, yeah, missing one day will be fine. But being part of my CrossFit community has driven me to maintain my gym schedule. A community drives commitment. It's a lot harder to give up on a community because a community won't give up on you. And that's what it comes to now. You may be all physically isolated, but that doesn't mean we lose our community. We can't fulfill Noah's character traits all the time, but we can collectively cover them as a community. When one of us strays to peer pressure, there'll be a member to help them back on track. When one of us is about to fall behind, community will be there to help us catch up. Community drives commitment. Whilst we can remain faithful with extreme diligence, it's more important to have a supporting community. So what can we do to maintain our church community? And whilst that is a question I pose to answer, it is even more important that, we, that you share what would make you feel more connected as our church community. Some of the members of our church, like Pablo, Jess, Sarah Lockhart and myself, have formed our Growing Younger team, an initiative that seeks to unite all church members of all generations as a community. So if you have a desire that would make you feel more welcome as in our community, please let myself, Jess or other member know so that we as a community create the community that we feel connected to and committed with. As a more short-term solution, try to remain in contact with as many people as you are able. It will be easier to remain faithful throughout uncertainty when we remain faithful as a community. 
So keep hosting video meetings. Find church members to connect with. We need to remain connected to God and connected as a church family. I can't be like Noah, and I suspect that none of us can be. I can't always hold faith throughout uncertainty, but collectively we can. So let's not isolate ourselves from community and commit ourselves to connection to each other and to God. Thank you. Good morning and happy Sabbath. For all those who don't know me, my name is Jess, and I've got the pleasure of speaking to you all this morning about life uncertainties. I believe this is a very appropriate topic for the time that we're in at the moment. And I know for me, I'm uncertain about when I'll be able to go back to school. Maybe you're uncertain about when you'll be able to go back to work. And I know we're all uncertain about when we'll be able to stop that constant application of hand sanitizer. In this time, everyone is uncertain about something. But I want, I want you to honestly ask yourself the question, have you been uncertain about your faith? A Bible character who I know for sure who went through many uncertainties was Naomi. I'm sure you've all heard about her story. Naomi tragically lost her son, and both her sons and her husband. This was a great time of uncertainty for her because in ancient times, widows were considered lower class in social order and superstitions ran that Naomi may have been someone who was cursed. She did not know that the result of her son's deaths and her husband's death would result in her going back to Israel and, went her went, and with her went Ruth. Neither of them knew what awaited them when they returned and while God was working out his plan in Ruth's life. Ruth was originally from Moab. Neither of them, which was an ancient enemy of Israel. She had no idea that she would find the favor of Boaz who she would marry through their line and as a result would become King David and Jesus Christ. It was a great time of uncertainty for Ruth. But when God's plan began to unfold, it was a time of great certainty. Throughout the entire time, even through the tragedies Naomi suffered, God was slowly revealing his plan throughout her life. We might go through things that seem uncertain, and to people, it looks like an ending. But you can call it a new beginning, because that's what faith gives you the power to do. Because Naomi trusted in God's plan, she was able to live in peace. I'm going to tell you a quick story about a time when I was uncertain. In my first year of Pathfinders, on one of the base camps, our club leaders decided to take us out on a night bushwalk. And I was very excited because I'd never been on a night bushwalk before. About halfway into the walk, our club director told us to be careful because there are some upcoming cliff edges. In this time of my life, I was rather clumsy. So the thought of me tripping over and falling off a cliff did cross my mind. I kind of just put it to the back of my head. As I trudged along, that very thought came true. I tripped over one of my untied shoelaces and toppled off what seemed to be a cliff edge. At that very moment, there was nothing I could do except scream and my heart, my heart out and hold on for dear life. I never felt my heart beat so fast and sweat began to pour off my forehead. The thing was, when I looked up, no one seemed to be worried. And it was at that very moment that I decided to put my feet down and realized I wasn't hanging off the edge of the cliff, just a little rock edge. In the moment of me believing that I was hanging off a cliff, I was uncertain about a lot of things. I was uncertain about my grip. I was uncertain about how far the fall would be. And most of all, I was uncertain about my life. But all I had to do was place my feet on the rock below me and all my fears vanished. 
How many times have you been in a situation where you feel like you have been hanging on for dear life and you feel like your grip is slipping, but all you've had to do is put your feet down on the rock? Psalm 18 verse 3 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my salvation, my stronghold. As Christians, we are blessed to know that all we have to do is rest our feet down on, and God will protect us from falling off the enemy's cliff of fear, discouragement, hate, resentment, and lies. I'm going to share with you one last story. This story is called The Room, which was written by a boy named Brian. And this was unfortunately the last story he ever wrote. As his parents went through his locker at Teary Valley High School, they came across an essay he wrote only months before his death. It was about encountering Jesus in a room full of cards, dealing with every moment in his life. This essay was so powerful, the Moore's family hung it among their family portraits. His essay went something like this. In a place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in a room. There was no distinguishing features except for a wall that covered with small index cards. They're like the ones in libraries, that lists titles of author or subject in alphabetical order. But these files, which stretch from floor to ceiling, seemingly endless in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew near the wall of files, I, the first one that I caught my eye, which read, All My Best Friends. I opened it and began flipping through the cards. I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized all the names. And without being told, I knew exactly where I was. The lifeless room was filled with actions of every moment in my life, and I came across memories that I felt great guilt and shame. Files such as friends and friends I've betrayed, books I've read, lies I've told. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Was it possible that I'd lived through each of these millions of cards? But each was confirmed with my signature. When I came across the file, Lustful Thoughts, I felt a chill run down my body. I felt sick to the stomach that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke over me. One thought dominated my mind. And that is, nobody must ever see these cards. I must destroy them. I pulled out this section and, be and began to pound them on the floor. I could not dislodge a single card. I became desperate only to find that they were strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Realizing my defeat, I returned it to its slot. I began to weep, so deep it hurt. I cried of shame. No one must ever know about this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then I pushed away, and as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please, not him, anyone but Jesus. I watched him helplessly open the worst files and read the cards, and on his face, I saw a sorrow much deeper than mine. Why did he have to read every single one? After he finished, he didn't say anything. He just came over to me, put his arm around me, and together we cried. He then got up and took a file, and before I could stop him, he started to sign his name over each of those cards with his own blood, so rich and red. He doesn't deserve to be on these cards. I would never understand how he did it so quickly, but the next second he was back by my side and he said, it is finished. He walked me out of the room. There was no lock on the door. There were still cards to be written.
So although we are going through uncertain times at the moment, we can be certain about one thing. Jesus signed his name on our sins so we can have eternal life and live with him forever.